Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. I'm so thrilled to get to be back. I'm actually coming back here tomorrow night because I get to be with your discipleship school. Anybody a part of the discipleship school in this room? No, the Bresmans lead it. Ryan and I, my husband, we got to spend a summer in Peru with the Bresmans in 2017. Obviously fell in love with them, and it's fun to get to be back here with the extended family. Uh, I, I am from Waco. And I am the young adult and women's pastor at Antioch Waco. And I tell you what, I am so expectant for what God wants to do in this house this morning. And not only am I expectant, but Ryan and I are actually expecting. We are pregnant. We have a little baby bacon in the oven, supposed to pop out March 5th. And we are so thrilled about it. We actually found out the gender of our child on Monday, but we are joyfully keeping it a secret until the end of this month. But I wanted to give you guys two hints on the gender, all right? Uh, So I had a couple dreams. I'm not really one who dreams much while sleeping. And if I do, typically forget it or it is just one of those really bizarre, weird things. But over the past few weeks, I had a dream In one of the dreams, I was pregnant, which is true, and I was pregnant with a boy, and by the end of the dream, the boy turned into a puppy. All right? And then the second dream that I had was that I was pregnant, which was true, which is true, and then my mom was also pregnant with me, and we were both pregnant with girls. And uh, I I fact-checked with my mom. I was like, Mom, are you? Is this Father of the Bride part three for us kind of a deal? Um, and she was like, it would be a true miracle from God for me to be pregnant. So the options are we are either having a boy, a girl, or a puppy. And I will let you know we're not having a puppy. All right? And so you can, we're going to post on Instagram at the end of this month because I know all you are dying to know the gender of our child, but we are so excited about it. Much to be excited, much to be expectant about in these days. But I know that you guys are in a series called Mid-Flight Chaos. And so I got the joy of watching uh, JD's message from last week where he shared about when anxiety attacks. And I thought he did an amazing job of putting language to a lot of what we feel when we have caught a thought. And when that thought that we have caught sends us into those cycles, those deep, dark pits of fear and anxiety. And I love his challenge was for each of us to remember and to remind ourselves of who God has been so that we'll be convinced of who God will be, so we can pull ourselves out of the fear and actually experience peace in the midst of that anxiety that longs to attack us. And so this morning, I'm actually going to be continuing the conversation about chaos. Is that all right with everybody in the room to keep talking about chaos? But this morning, when we do, we're not necessarily going to talk about the external chaos that comes at us, but more the internal chaos that comes up in us when we collide with things that are stressful. Now, agree or disagree? When you're experiencing chaos, 
stress, or delay, those different things reveal what is in you, right? To put it another way, what comes out of us, either good or bad, comes in times of chaos. What is in us comes out of us in times of chaos. I don't know about y'all, but I'm a road rager, sadly. So what is in me comes out of me when I get stuck in traffic. What's in me comes out of me when I get the surprise car bill like Ryan and I did this past week. What comes in me comes out of me when I get the backlash text from the friend. What, comes, what is in me comes out of me when I get blamed for something that I did not do. Can anybody relate in the room? And for me, sadly, more often times than not, I am not necessarily pleased with what I find is kind of hidden in the shadows of my soul until a moment of chaos arises. And typically what comes out sends me into more intensified stress or chaos. And one specific memory that is seared into me was back in fourth grade at a pinnacle moment of my life, our elementary school dodgeball tournament. In small town East Texas, at Northside, which is the elementary school I went to, this was equivalent to the Super Bowl. I mean, it was like what I waited for all year. I was that girl obsessed with recess, favorite, favorite subject, PE. That was so who I was. And I remember that morning, I was like, today is the day. The rubber's going to meet the road. Somebody's going to be given the, the title of champion. And so we get to PE, and just like it should have been, my arch rival from the second grade, Drew, was on an opposing team than me. And so the bracket begins, the teams are going at it. Eventually his team and my team make it to the finals. And I think you know where this is going to head, right? And so we're battling it out. It ends up teammate after teammate gets pegged. They're out and it ends up being four people, me and one of my teammates versus Drew and another enemy. All right, so again, you kind of hear Eye of the Tiger in the background. And then all of a sudden, this ball begins to roll across the midline. I sprint up to the ball. I snag it, and then I come across Drew, hit Drew. When one of my other friends catches a ball from an opponent, the crowd goes wild. Confetti fans go off. We are the champions, starts playing in the background, and we have been crowned the victors of the Northside Dodgeball Championship. But as I did come down from cloud nine, chaos began to ensue in the form of fourth grade gossip. All right, what had happened was different pockets of people began to claim that I cheated because when I went to grab that ball, they said that my foot crossed the middle line. And so I remember literally walking out of the gym into the playground and I did this panoramic of the playground and there's all these different pockets of people pointing at me, scowls on their faces, and I began to panic. And again, think fourth grade mindset here. It was like the world was coming to an end. The victory that I thought that I had believed was being robbed for me, and I was being called a cheater. 
And so I reacted like any sanctified Jesus lover would react. And I imprisoned myself in the gym bathroom. So I sprint to the gym bathroom, lock up, and embarrassed and enraged. I am weeping. I am yelling. The gym teacher tries to come and talk me out of the stall to no avail. Another teacher tries to come and talk me out of the stall to no avail. My friends who had called me cheaters tried to talk me out of the stall to no avail. Eventually, my home teacher had to come and sit on the floor of the bathroom and slow talked me back into civilization. And I remember being so embarrassed, one, by all that had happened, but so much more of what came out of me in that moment of stress. Mom gets called, she shows up, her day's ruined, my day's ruined, and the day that I was so excited about, again, it, it came to an end, and I was shocked at what was in me. I know some of you are probably like, yeah, give us some fresh meat. That was you back in fourth grade. And so I will. I remember a few weeks ago, Ryan and I had a bit of a marriage moment, uh, what I like to call them. And we were, it had been a kind of a really crazy, crazy week. We were like ships passing in the night. But I was really excited about our date night that was coming on Thursday. And so on Wednesday night, I'm like, Ryan, super excited. We were going to the Baylor volleyball game. And so I was like, hey, are you excited about the game tomorrow? And he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I forgot to tell you, but my work scheduled this thing on Thursday night. I thought it was going to get canceled, but it, 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 it showed up, and I have to go. So I'm going to have to – I can't make it to the volleyball game, so we're not going to be able to head to, head to do our date night. And, again, this was a date night. It wasn't our 10th year anniversary. We didn't have a steak dinner reserved at Waco's Finest Restaurant. But you would have thought – Based on my reaction that it, Ryan had gotten drafted into the Navy SEALs and was headed out to Syria and was not only going to miss date night, but the birth of our child as well. I mean, I went into full-blown meltdown. All right. Simply all that happened was a bit of delayed communication that contradicted with my plan. But I am crying. I am turning, giving him the cold shoulder. I'm giving him short responses. And in the moment, I feel validated. But in the morning, I felt so embarrassed, like wildly embarrassed at how dramatic my reaction was to the chaos of a delayed date night, right? And again, I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room who's experienced some reactions that cause you to kind of cringe on the other side when you think about, man, what is in me? And when it comes out of me, it, it, it sends me into a tailspin of increased chaos. Now, I'm sure that many of you might experience a little bit of chaos at your work. And you and your boss might even this past week have gotten to, into a tiff, and you react by blowing up on your kid later that evening. Or maybe you miss a deadline and you get reprimanded for the deadline that you have missed, and instead of humility coming out of you, taking ownership of your fault, you become hopeless, and you might even have one or too many glasses of wine that evening. You might also be experiencing chaos in your relationships, kind of like Ryan and I in our marriage moment, and you and your spouse can't see eye to eye on your budget or eye to eye on your finances, 
and she wants to press in, but your reaction is to isolate in the conversation and leave. You might have recently had a breakup with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or still stuck in a relational status that you do not want. And the loneliness and the betrayal cause you to react in ways that embarrass you and even cause you increased pain as opposed to draw you towards God and draw you towards others. You also might even experience chaos in your relationship with God. You found yourself stuck in a cycle of sin. And God feels far, God feels distant, God feels silent. The last thing he told you to do was to confess to community. But when you show up at church, what comes up in you is anger at him and isolation from others. And here is the truth. What's stored up shows up. What gets stored up in you and I eventually shows up, especially in moments of chaos, in moments of pain, in moments of stress, in seasons of delay. What's stored up shows up. And more oftentimes than not, you are more displeased than you are pleased, more ashamed than you are proud, more stuck than you feel free. And that feeling of being stuck feels like a cycle that you cannot break. And stress, you always go to anger. Like you always become the volcano that erupts. Or in chaos, you always try and think of, man, how can I medicate? What's my eject button to get out of here? In times of pressure, you might find yourself, man, I just want to fold and I want to flee. I've got to get out of where I am. And for the unbeliever, that's kind of the story of living this life of stuck. But for the believer, the truth that what's stored up shows up is actually a declaration of hope. Truly, for you and I that know Jesus, the reality that what we store up in us has the power to show up and free us is not something that we should feel condemned of, that we should rise to. Amen? Love what it says in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. And this is, this is a prophet, Ezekiel, prophesying into the new covenant that you and I are living in today. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is an encouraging verse for you and I that are Jesus followers. We have received a new heart. We have received a new spirit. And those things have enabled us to change, to transform, to come renewed, to become more like Jesus. So we're not trapped in our cycles of inward chaos when we're experiencing external anxiety or stress. Amen. We get to live free 
from cycles because we've been given all of the raw divine nature that has the power and potential to help us become like Jesus. I love what the New Testament says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, I'm sure you know it, new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And the truth for you and I as Jesus followers is we are made new and we are in this lifelong journey of becoming new, right? Right? It is this beautiful tension on this side of heaven of the now and the not yet. But we get to move towards Jesus because he has given us all that we need, as it says in 2 Peter 1, for life and godliness in him. We don't have to live stuck. We do not have to be captive to the chaos that wants to rise up in us or come up at us. Amen? But here's the kicker, all right? What we the kicker is we have what we need. Like again, 2 Peter 1, God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. We've been given the new heart. We've been given the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is inside of you. We have what we need, but it is on us. It is on you and I to choose what to do with what we have been given. It's true. It's true. We have what we need. God has deposited. God has given. God has sealed. God has stamped. God has generously provided. But it's on you and I. What are we going to choose to do with what we have been given? Now, when I was a sophomore in college, I moved into this house house with a bunch of my best friends. There were seven of us in this house. It was awesome. And our first night that we got to stay in this house, one of my best friend's dads came and cooked us breakfast for dinner. Great dad move. Breakfast for dinner. And so it was our first night to all be together. He's flipping the pancakes, bacon, eggs, sausage, the whole deal. Huge meal. And so we're chowing down, loving life, excited about the year. We finish up our breakfast for dinner. And then Fred, the, the dad's name, he turned and said, okay, who's ready for dessert? We're like, Fred, our tummies are full. We cannot have any more food. And he like looked at us with this puzzled, this puzzled face. And he said, what do you mean you're already full? Don't you know you have a second tummy? And I was like, what do you mean I have a second tummy? He's like, you have like your your tummy for food and for, for meals and for snacks, but then you have your second tummy that's for dessert. And you have not yet filled up your second tummy. We're like, oh, we didn't know. Let's absolutely, we want some dessert. Let's go and fill our second tummy. Now, here's the truth for you and I as believers you and I have two tummies. All right, we have two reservoirs within us to deposit and to draw from, right? We have the first tummy of our flesh, and then we have the second tummy of our spirit. Obviously, the second tummy is our spirit because it's the dessert tummy, and it's sweeter, right? It is sweeter, but we do. We have two tummies, and that second tummy 
that of the Spirit, that of the Spirit of God was purchased for us by Jesus, was given to us, like we just read about in Ezekiel 36. And that tummy, that spirit within us, that reservoir that we can choose to fill with life and godliness, that tummy has power. That tummy has power. So again, what we've been saying, what you store up shows up, right? So what we store, are y'all tracking with my tummies? What we store in our tummies give us a greater deposit to draw from, especially in times of chaos, right? If I sow to my second tummy, I'm doing Galatians 5. The fruits of the Spirit are filling me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If I store those in my second tummy, what's going to show up is power in moments that I need it. What's going to show up is godliness in moments of tension. What's going to show up is life when I want to flee, right? But then we also have that first tummy right? That of the flesh, Galatians 5, says a few things that will get sown into the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, dissensions, envy, idolatry, drunkenness, to just name a few. If we store those things up, what's going to show up is increased chaos, right? increased destruction. It's going to be increased cycles of of chaos that we find ourselves stuck in. And I recently heard a testimony of the power of a stored up second tummy. Do y'all want to hear it? So, uh, Ryan and I are helping out with the discipleship school in Waco, and so we help out on Monday nights, and almost every time we gather, different people pop up and share testimonies of what God's doing. So a week or so ago, another lady who's kind of helping out told this testimony about her 16-year-old daughter. All right, so her and her 16-year-old daughter, they live out in China Springs, which is kind of the, uh, uh, the country of, of Waco world. And so it's about 30 minutes outside of Waco. And one afternoon, the 16-year-old daughter is walking out to the mailbox, and she's wearing chacos, and that's important. And as she's walking out to the mailbox, she sees this huge snake on the ground. For some crazy reason in her mind, she thinks, I should stomp on the snake in my chacos. Not a great thought, but she's 16. Not that 16-year-olds are great. And so she walks out there, and she tries to stomp on this snake. And, of course, what does the snake do? Comes back up and bites her foot. So in chaos, she runs into the house to find her mom. She's like, Mom, 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 a snake bit my foot. So her mom runs out to see what kind of snake it is. All right, it was a copperhead snake that bit her on the foot. So a poisonous snake has bit her on the foot. They live 30 minutes outside of Waco. They throw the kids in the minivan and start racing in to Waco to get to the ER. And as they're driving, this 16-year-old literally feels the pain and the poison moving from her foot to her ankle to her calf to her knee. And what she had stored up in God in this moment of chaos shows up. She just starts declaring truth from Scripture. I mean, shocked her mother, 
Literally, her mom is like, you know, I'm more shocked by the snake. Well, I know it's coming out of my 16-year-old daughter. But just start shouting scripture. Greater is he that is in me than any power that is in this world. You know, I mean, he just starts, this perfect love drives out all fear. God's not giving me a spirit of fear, timidity, one of power of love and of a sound mind. And again, she just starts declaring what she's stored. And it shows up in a moment of chaos and peace enters the minivan, right? Because Galatians 6, we reap what we sow, right? So she had sown into scripture, built up her second tummy. And in a moment of chaos, what showed up was power. What showed up was godliness. What showed up was life. What showed up was true healing. They made it to the ER. She gets what she needs and she goes on her merry way. But that is what happens. The fruit of you and I who choose to be like, man, I want to sow into my second tummy. I want to store in, I want to store up things of the spirit so that they show up in times of chaos and in times of stress. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at a passage in scripture, 2 Chronicles 20, looking at this king of old who encountered an extreme moment of chaos, but it is evident by his responses that he had built up a reservoir of strength in his second tummy. So 2 Chronicles 20, King Jehoshaphat, say Jehoshaphat. Tell you what, we're thinking about naming our child that. Not really. Um, Second Chronicles 20, right before is obviously chapter 19. And Jehoshaphat had been doing great as a king, had set in all these different, uh, all these different kind of judicial and judicial reforms, all these different things going on. And then in chapter 20, chaos ensues, picking up in 20 verse 1. After this, the Moabites, Ammonites, and with them some of the Minyanites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Now, Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. Judah is one of the kingdoms of the people of Israel. They've been split into two kingdoms, kingdom of Israel, kingdom of Judah. He's the king of Judah. In verse 2, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom and from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Engedi. And so chaos is coming to King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. Their enemies have crossed over across the Dead Sea, no pun intended, across the Dead Sea and are in their country and are beginning to show up in their space. And so you would think that what's going to come out of Jehoshaphat is based on what he's stored up inside of him. We're about to find out in verse 3 and 4. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, rightfully so, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now here we see a calculated response of one who has deposited much in the reservoir. In a moment of chaos, what does the king do? He says, we're going to seek the Lord and we're going to call a fast. I know that we're about to go to war against an enemy, but we are going to intentionally weaken our bodies by not eating. And we're going to wait on direction from God, and then we're going to press forward. Isn't that powerful? 
That's not typically what I would do. If I was king in that moment, or queen, I guess you would say, in that moment, I'd be, okay, gentlemen, push-ups. Now, start going. Ladies, we got to make the protein shakes for the gentlemen. Kids, start getting all the, the swords, because we are going to battle in less than 24 hours. we got to be prepared. But he was drawing from a different reservoir. All right, then picking back up in verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem. He had gathered literally the entire kingdom and the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, this is personal pop-up speech. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And in verse 12, O our God, will you not execute judgment over them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is somebody who has stored much in their second tummy. And so you are seeing, this so matches what J.D. preached last week of recalling who God has been, right? And declaring it in your presence so you can believe it for your future. He's got the assembly of Judah before him. He says, okay, everybody, we are facing chaos. We are facing enemies. But who has God been? And that's who we're going to trust that God will be. And then what, ha- what happens in the rest of the story, literally he quiets the entire assembly of Judah. And in the silence, the Spirit of God falls on this one young Levite. And this one young Levite is given this prophetic word for victory the next day. God speaks to him. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. It was God that was going to bring the victory. But it was him, it was Jehoshaphat that set his people up to be in a posture to receive it, right? So what happened the next morning, all of kingdom of Judah wakes up. Jehoshaphat says, all right, we're going to stand firm in the word of the Lord. And before we move towards battle, he does this wild thing. He sends the worshipers out first. He literally sends the singers, the Levites. He says, I want you to go to the front lines of the battle. And as they go, the front lines, they begin to sing out of Psalms 136. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And at the moment that their praise was lifted, God was prompted to send an ambush in the midst of their enemies. And literally what happened was they began to fight in and amongst themselves. And as the kingdom of Judah crest over the mountain into the valley that they should be, it should honestly be their valley of the shadow of death, they see their enemies lying dead before them. And they spend three days plundering their enemies. What a wild story. Truly, and what I love is that the leader of the people of God was one who had stored up much. So what showed up in a moment of chaos gave God space to bring victory. And it says at the end of this chapter, rest all around. And isn't that what you and I want in times of chaos? 
man, God, bring a victory, and man, bring my soul rest. Bring my soul rest. And you and I have been given all that we need to set God up to do so, right? And I love three different things that the king does. I think you and I can learn from. The first thing, fasting. I'm going to go there. Fasting. Truly, I love that the first thing that this king does as he calls his people to literally give up some mental real estate in their stomach. And he says, hey, before we go into battle, we've got to make ourselves weak so we actually know who's the one that really has the strength in this thing. And in that fasting, they are made dependent on God, but they make space in them to really better position themselves for victory that is to come. Fasting is a discipline that comes with power. And if you and I want to strengthen our second tummies, if we want to expand our reservoir so we can carry the things of God, fasting is a way to do it. It is a powerful weapon that gives us access to supernatural strength and stability in times of chaos. The second thing that Jehoshaphat does as he simply recalls and remembers what God has done and who God has been, so much like what J.D. shared last week. And I want to share this story. There's this lady that I really look up to in Waco. She's a counselor. She's in her mid-70s, and she is a giant in the faith. I mean, her second tummy is huge. And I talked with her a few weeks ago, and she shared with me one of kind of the disciplines that she does in moments of chaos. She has these different notebooks of note cards, and she has one for anxiety. She has one for finances. She has one for God's nature, and she has one for God's power. And in times of anxiety and in times of chaos, she will sit down in her chair, lay down in her bed, be wherever she is, and she just flips through these note cards and reads out loud who God is just renewing her mind, replenishing her reservoir, expanding her second tummy. And she had a heart attack about a decade ago. And after her heart attack, anytime she'd have any form of a physical kind of twinge, it would send her in cycles of anxiety because she thought, I'm going to have another heart attack. I'm going to have another heart attack. And she told me, she's like, one night I woke up in the middle of the night. I just, the thought was all consuming. You're going to die. You're going to have this heart attack. And so she pulls out her note card. She pulls out that weapon. And she just starts reading about the character of God. She calls her daughter to come over. Her daughter starts reading about the character of God. That God is a God of peace. God is a God of refuge. God is a God of strength. And again, in her ability to draw from the reservoir of the Spirit, the peace of God came and settled the chaos, didn't intensify it. And the last thing that I want to point out that Jehoshaphat does is he put the worshipers on the front line. I love that he did that, and I want to do that in my life. You know, how many of you know that worship is warfare sometimes, right? You know, when we're encountering chaos, when we're coming against our enemies, when it comes out of us is not what we want, how many of us say, man, I just need to worship more. I need to set my eyes on Jesus. I need to get his perspective. I need to access his power. I need to replenish my tummy, right? Man, if we did those three things, we would become giants. 
giants in the faith that, man, we weren't freaked out when chaos came at us because we knew that what was in us is bigger, right? What if, man, we became a people that fasted? What if we became a people that, man, recalled the things of God? We turned to His Word. What if we said, man, worship's my warfare. I'm going to get every morning, my first fruits of every morning, I'm going to call down heaven in worship. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to share this brief story as we come to an end. And it's a story about this lady. Her name is Lexia. And she shared her testimony back in my college days when I was on an Awaken trip, which is our spring break mission trip. And I remember her sharing this different this story about a time when she, when what was stored up absolutely showed up. And not just a time of chaos, but in a time of turmoil and extreme loss. She was on her discipleship school outreach in Tunisia. And she gets a call from her mom and she takes the call literally in a phone booth. And and the news that she gets from her mom is that her dad has suddenly, dramatically passed away. And of course, at the sound of that news, I mean, just pain, chaos, grief, all the emotions come on her. And on the other line, she has one of the leaders back at our church in Waco. And he's like, hey, Lexia, like, why did you call? What's going on? Tell me what's happening. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Are you okay? And her gut response after she'd just gotten this news from her mom is she starts yelling over the phone through tears. My top button's buttoned. My top button is buttoned. And what she was recalling was this teaching that she had sewn into throughout her discipleship school year. And it was this teaching about the top button being buttoned, representing that of the goodness of God. And when you top, when you button your top button, it aligns all the other buttons, right? And so the teaching was you deciding to trust and wholeheartedly believe in the goodness of God. So when things come at you, you're able to align yourselves with His nature. And she had sown into that revelation. She had sown into that truth. So in her moment of not just chaos, but in her moment of tragedy, what came out of her was revelation. My top button is buttoned. My top button is buttoned. And man, I am jealous for that to be in me, right? For that to be in you. And God's given us all we need. He's given us His heart. He's given us His spirit. He's given us His word. He's given us His presence. Man, we can become giants in the faith. We can have second tummies that are huge. But what are we going to do with what we've been given? You know, the question really is, what are you storing up? Which tummy are you feeling? Which reservoir are you really trying to deposit into? as you stand your feet and the worship or the ministry team comes